Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, help me to teach your word to these, your children, that they may know you as their heavenly Father who loves them. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today the church celebrates the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important because this special event does a number of things. It indicates that Jesus was consecrated to God and officially approved by him. It marks the beginning of his public or messianic ministry. It's an example for us to follow. It means we should all be baptized because he was. And finally, by his baptism, Jesus completely identified himself with humanity's sins and failures, and he became our substitute. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He became one of us to redeem us. He became human to fix humanity. As humans, we cannot rise above our sinful nature. No matter how hard we try, we just can't. We still get selfish. We still get bossy. We get uncaring. We get haughty. We still get impatient. Our inability to rise above our human nature can be especially seen in our relationships. And so we tend to treat people the way they treat us. If they are mean to us, we are mean back to them. If they are indifferent to us, we are indifferent to them. And if they love us, then we tend to love them back. That's human nature. We will treat people how we think they deserve to be treated, and nothing is ever, really ever going to change. When you look at yourself and how you treat others, don't you wish you could do better at loving others all the time? Don't you wish you could rise above your human nature? I know I sure do. The good news is that God so loved the world, the whole world, all of us, even though we did not deserve his love or his salvation, he loved us. Even though we were enemies of God, he still loved us. And even though we were indifferent to God, he loved us. That is supernatural love. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus became one of us to save us, and we are reminded of that at Christmas, of course, but we are also reminded of that today as we celebrate the baptism of our Lord. My question for you, has God redeemed your nature? And the answer is yes, 
He has. He has saved you. How do you know? And the Bible points us back to our own baptism, which we're going to reaffirm later in the service. But look at this passage from Colossians 2. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So in baptism, we have been raised with Christ to a new life. Now watch this. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 3. Well, guess what? We're still in there. Not finished with that passage just yet. And this is about our baptismal life. The life of a child of God. The new life we live. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's your baptism. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and this is, remember, what we talked about, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also, you also must Forgive, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, every day, just as we put clothes on our physical bodies and prepare for the day, so too we put on our baptism clothes, the righteousness and character of Christ. That's our new nature, so that we can love the new way not the old way. So we can love supernaturally, not naturally. This is what it means to be a Christian. And we mature in this daily. We can't do this on our own. This is Christ living in and through us. God tells us who we are. And then he tells us how to act. And we've talked about some of those things a couple of weeks ago. And you can listen to the podcast on that. But here's where we left off. Because, if anything, this really tells us if we're children of God or not. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Have you ever had that experience? If you're married, 
Yes, you have. He doesn't even necessarily use the word sin. There are things that are sinful and there are things that are just really, really annoying. And when you have a relationship, there will be certain things that are like a complaint. A complaint or a grievance can, it can include a sin or it can just be that annoyance and that difference. Something that doesn't work in this relationship. When a complaint comes, when there's conflict, when there is an issue, how do you resolve it? And this is true for all your relationships. A complaint comes, the grievance comes, some sort of friction or an offense is taken, something is failing, where do you start? You start by forgiving each other. And here's the real power. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And here's what he's saying. When someone has frustrated you and grieved you, offended you, and you have a complaint, the first thing you need to remember is all the things that you've been forgiven for. This is supernatural love, not natural. Well, you're driving me crazy. Let me stop and think about all my own wrongdoings. Most of the time it doesn't go like that. It usually goes, let me tell you about all your wrongdoings. But God wants us to think about all our wrongdoing and what he has forgiven in us. So think about this. Lord, here are all the things I've committed against you. And yet, you chose to forgive me. That Jesus, he lived a life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He pays the penalty we should have paid. So forgiveness is the canceling of the other's debt, the forgiving of a debt. God doesn't punish you. Jesus was punished for you. God isn't angry at you. His anger was poured out on Jesus. God is not holding a grudge against you. He's let it go at the cross of Jesus. That's how God forgives you. Lavishly, unconditionally, and undeservedly. So before you think about what they need to be forgiven of, Think of all you have been forgiven of. And here's what you need to know. You are forgiven. You have been forgiven. The burden of sin has been lifted for you. I want that torment you feel. I want the haunting to end for you. 
I want the guilt to be gone. I don't want your worst day to affect every day. You're forgiven. That's God's amazing grace, and it heals your soul. You're forgiven. You've got to soak that in. That's why we say it so often in church. That's God's amazing grace. You don't have to pay God back, and God is not going to beat you up. Everything was taken care of by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Now, how does that forgiveness feel? Wow, it feels really good. Now, you get to share that. Forgiveness is a gift to be received and then shared. And what Paul is saying is that as forgiven people, we need to be forgiving people. To be a Christian, I love this quote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Practically now, things forgiveness is. It's not trying the case. It's saying, I don't have to get a consensus or reach a conclusion. I don't think I need to take this to a counselor or a mediator. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to release this case. It's handing the case over to a higher court. When you forgive, you are saying, Jesus, judge. Jesus, you try this case for me. That means you've got to get off the bench. You've got to get the gavel out of your hand. And you allow Jesus to sit on the bench and hold the gavel in his hand. And you're saying, Jesus, you know perfectly. You know everything. You deal with this. You figure it out. You straighten it out. I will submit to your word. You literally hand the case over to the court of Jesus. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is granted free of charge. Trust is earned. Forgiveness can happen in a moment. Trust takes time. I'll give you a quick example. A husband cheats on his wife with a co-worker. The wife works through the hurt and decides to forgive him. He goes back to work and works with the same co-worker. The wife says, no. The husband says, hey, I thought you forgave me. If you forgive me, you need to trust me. No, those are two different things. I can forgive you, but I don't trust you. I need to learn to trust you again. See, forgiveness and trust are not the same. If you hurt someone, hurt someone you love, and they forgive you, you will want to do anything and everything you can to earn back their trust and to prove you can be trusted again. That's just the right thing to do. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not always the same. 
You can forgive someone and then sometimes part ways. I think of a business partner. One partner drains the company's account, steals all the money. The other partner works through that, forgives them, but they're not going into business again with them. Right? Things won't go back to their previous relationship. Things have changed. I forgive you, but I can't go back to the exact same relationship that we had. I love you, but I'm not going to do that again. Forgiveness is not something that happens one time only. It happens one time, and then it happens again, and again, and again. Remember, Peter came to Jesus and asked, how many times do we have to forgive someone? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. That's a lot. And what he's saying is you can forgive someone. And a little while later, the pain of the hurt can come back. And you need to forgive them again. Or you forgive someone. And later you find out a little bit more information and you're hurt again. You need to forgive again. We have trouble forgiving someone once, and yet Jesus, our Lord, says it is something we need to do again and again and again. And I will tell you something else I just read. Selfishness is part of our human nature. We don't get rid of our selfishness completely until the day we die. How many times does selfishness need to be forgiven in others? <laughs> Just saying. An awful lot. Okay. So, think of forgiveness as handing it to the Lord Jesus. Forgiveness is canceling the debt and not seeking vengeance or making them pay you back. Now, here's some reasons why I want you to forgive and these are so important. And this is why Paul writes to his church. It will free you from torment and sleepless nights. Mental health professionals, we love them, absolutely. They love and serve people in need. But even in their manuals, there's nothing about sin, nothing about Satan and demons. And the Bible says they are real and they seek to do us harm. And what happens is Satan and demons can torment people who are hurt. It might masquerade as ne negative self-talk. Sometimes people just can't stop thinking about what was done to them. And they'll talk it through and it's like they are haunted by it. Interesting use of words, haunted. And that's often how people will express themselves. I, I can't get rid of these feelings. I'm haunted by them. I can't get the offense out of my head. I keep getting reminded of it. Interesting choice of words. It's like deep, dark cloud has settled over your life and you can't escape it. And it entered at the moment of, of an offense or transgression 
when you were hurt. Now, when we think about who the devil is, the Bible calls him the father of lies. He's the bearer of grudges. He's got a big grudge against God. He's the accuser of the brethren, the keeper of the record of wrongs. He doesn't want us to experience the life-giving freedom of forgiveness. He doesn't want us to think or act godly. He'll want us to keep solely focused on ourselves. I'm forgiven, but I won't be forgiving. I want God to treat me in a way that I won't treat anyone else. I want God to give me a gift that I won't share with anyone else. And when we do that, we are essentially saying, what you, what you have done to me is so bad that I can't forgive you, and it must therefore be worse than what I've done to God. Now, who of us want to be guilty of thinking like that? None of us. So what I am saying is simply don't underestimate the influence of evil in your life. The Bible warns us of it. It can happen. The truth is that what we have done to God is worse than anything anyone has ever done to us. And so with God's help, we need to forgive them. And if we don't, we are inviting torment into our life. And if this becomes a pattern, this is where people become incredibly despondent, incredibly depressed, isolated, withdrawn, and they become a shell of who they were. They lose their hope, they lose their joy, and sometimes all the bitterness and anger of rehearsing the hurt can lead to lashing out at other people, even lashing out at one's own self with horrific consequences. So instead of seeing yourself as, I'm my heavenly father's chosen, I'm holy, I'm a beloved child, all you see is hurt, wounded victim. God says, forgive them. And you say, I can't, I can't let them get away with it. And God would say, I want you to forgive them, not so that they can get away with it, but so that you can get away from the hurt. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. He is in a far better position to judge the deeds of people. God wants, first and foremost, to heal you. He wants to free you. He wants to unburden you. You know we talk about Jesus, bearer of our sins. But we forget he also bore our sorrows and our hurts and our pain and our suffering. All of these he took upon himself. If you want to watch a good movie, watch Unbroken. Watched it last night. There are two versions. 2014 is the Hollywood version. Watch that one first. It's still very good. And then watch the Christian one, Unbroken. Real true story about forgiveness. Very powerful. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function 
regardless of the temperature of the heart. Whew, that's another great movie to watch, Corey Ten Boom's story. Forgiveness starts from on high in the presence of God. Its origin is in the very nature of God himself. He decides to forgive us because he loves. And it flows down to you and me, and it brings healing and health and life. And God wants the forgiveness to keep flowing through you, downstream even, even further to others, so that there is a possibility of them enjoying the goodness of God as well. It also allows all of the toxicity, the pain, the brokenness, the bitterness, the fears, the angers, and the loss, the mourning, the torment to get washed downstream, to be taken away from us so that we can enjoy the peace and the presence of God who forgives. This is not how the cultural does relationships. Bitterness, anger, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, social media post for social media post. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You must forgive and above all, put on love. Once you've been forgiven, now you can really start to love. And we are going to look at that next week as we continue our walk through these few verses in Colossians. Amen.